0: section 18 of a life's morning this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording my shipping A life's morning by george gissing section 18 chapter 13 the cutting of the knot for the final failure of his plot dagworthy was in no wise prepared he had anticipated prolonged scenes passionate pleadings appeals to his better nature and to his shame but that his threat should prove ineffectual was not among his fears illustrating a well-known tendency of human nature his reckless egoism based its confidence on the presumed existence of heroic self-devotion in his victim starting from a knowledge of the close affection between emily and her father the logic of desire had abundant arguments to prove that the girl must and could act in but one way dagworthy's was not an original mind the self-immolation of daughters not of sons on their parents behalf is among vulgar conceptions of the befitting and it is more than probable that the mill-owner was half consciously supported by precedents drawn from his readings in popular fiction his imagination as is commonly the case was only strong in the direction of his wishes neglecting emily's avowed attachment to an accepted lover whose shadowiness made him difficult to realize even as an obstacle. He dwelt persistently on the thought of Hood's position and found it impossible to imagine a refusal on Emily's part to avert from her father the direst of calamities. That other motive, the strength of which in Emily was independent of her plighted troth, was not within the range of his conceptions that a woman should face martyrdom rather than marry without love was a contingency alien to his experience and to the philosophy wherewith nature had endowed him in spite of the attributes of nobleness which so impressed him in the object of his love dagworthy could give no credit to the utterance of such a feeling whilst emily spoke He was, for the moment, overcome by a vision of vague glories. Reflecting on her words, he interpreted them as merely emphasizing her determination to wed one only. Their effect was to give new food to his jealousy. That solace of man's unconscious pessimism, the faith pathetically clung to, that in frustration of desire is the soul's health, is but too apt to prove itself fallacious, just where its efficiency would show most glorious. Is there not lurking somewhere in your mind, notwithstanding the protests of your realistic intelligence, more than half a hope that Richard will emerge radiant from the gulf into which his passions have plunged him for the credit of human nature but what if human nature oft establishes its credit by the failures over which we shake our heads of many ways to the resting-place of souls the weight of affliction is but one clean if it please you to the assurance that this is the treading of the elect instinct will justify itself in many to whom the denial of a supreme need has been the closing of the upward path midway in his life when slow development waited but occasion to establish the possibilities of a passionate character dagworthy underwent the trial destined to determine the future course of his life one hesitates to impute it to him as a fault that he was not of the elect a mere uneducated englishman hitherto balancing always between the cause from above and from below with one miserable delusion and its consequent bitterness ever active in his memory he could make no distinction between the objects which with vehemence he desired and the spiritual advantage which he felt the attainment would bring to him and for the simple reason that in his case no such distinction existed even as the childhood of civilization knows virtue only in the form of a concrete deity so to dagworthy the higher life of which he was capable took shape as a mortal woman and to possess her was to fulfil his being with the certainty that she was beyond his reach came failure of the vital forces which promised so much a pity for it flatters us poor mortals to discern instances of the soul's independence of the body i would it had been otherwise with dagworthy i have but to relate the facts It was no dark angel that had whispered to him through the hours of his waiting for emily's surrender high aims pure ambitions were stronger in him than they ever had been stronger than they ever would be again it was when emily left him with those proud words of defiance that the veritable demon took stand at his ear The leaping, fruitful sap of his being turned itself to gall. He sat with a brow of blackness. Cruel projects worked in his brain. Not only had he lost her, but his loss was another's gain. The pricking of jealousy, for a while suspended, again became maddening. He had heard her say that she would die rather than be his wife judge then what must be her love of the man she had chosen his desire now was to do her injury and his fiercest torment was the thought that he dare not fulfil the menace with which he had hoped to overwhelm her if he prosecuted hood all the circumstances of the case would inevitably come out emily had friends in dunfield and if her father's guilt were once disclosed there would be no reason for her concealment of what had happened facts like these put forward in mitigation of punishment would supply the town with a fearful subject of comment nay was he safe from the clutch of the law of these things he had not troubled to think So assured was he that the mere threat would suffice. From his present point of view it was easy enough to see that the plot had been a wretched piece of bungling. In failing of its end it became the project of a simpleton. Had the girl herself been cool enough to see this? Did she defy him in knowledge of the weakness of his position? Probably not in that case she would have spoken differently she had granted and clearly with sincerity his power to do what he threatened and then the fact remained that he could injure hood irremediably by means short of criminal proceedings emily his reasoning was accurate enough had not been careful to distinguish between modes of injury where each meant ruin what he dared to do he would he was acquainted with the wretched story of struggle which had ended in hood's taking refuge as a clerk with a mean salary from the extremities of destitution to dismiss the man after private accusation would be to render his prospects worse than ever for it was easy to whisper here and there the grounds of dismissal Emily's mouth would be closed by the necessity of keeping secret her father's dishonesty. But this revenge fell short of his appetite for cruelty. It would strike the girl herself only indirectly, and it was possible that her future husband might have it in his power to give her parents aid. Yet he persuaded himself that the case was otherwise. Emily's secrecy had impressed him with the belief that the match she contemplated was anything but a brilliant one could he devise no graver hurt through the Sunday afternoon and the night which followed he pondered ceaselessly on means of evil delighted to flash his fangs even in imagination many a vile plan dwelt with him which he knew he durst not put into practice monday morning came and found him no further than the crime which had first suggested itself fevered with eagerness to accomplish that at least he left home earlier than usual it might be that the day would bring fresh counsel to emily the hours following upon her visit to the house on the heath had brought unnatural quietness physical suffering troubled her but the energies of her mind were for the time expended the aching of her brow involved thought in sluggishness she did not shun her parents and even talked with them in a listless way solitude would have been irksome to her just now for once she felt glad of her mother's way of spending sunday to sit inactive was all that she desired it was understood that her head distressed her in the afternoon and again in the evening the single bell of the chapel clanged for worshippers mrs hood was not in the habit of attending service more than once in the day she sat on her uneasy chair at times appearing to read more often gazing out of the windows the road had more traffic than on weekdays for it was the recreation of a certain class of Danfieldians to drive out in parties to the heath either hiring a vehicle or using their own trade-carts it would have been a consolation to observe that in the latter case the quadruped employed benefited by its owner's regard for his own interests possibly an acute spectator might have discerned gradations of inhumanity to the casual eye there showed but a succession of overladen animals urged to the utmost speed the national predilection exhibiting itself crudely in this locality towards nightfall the pleasure-seekers returned driving with a heightened energy attributable to barkic inspiration singing shouting exchanging racy banter with pedestrians so the hours dragged wearily on wheezed out one after one by the clock on the stairs hood was at no time fertile in topics of conversation today he maintained almost unbroken silence tea was prepared partaken of removed Supper three hours later the day closed with rain and a rising wind emily heard it about the house as she lay through hours of sleeplessness at first a light slumber had come to her it was broken by the clock striking eleven probably she was roused at the first stroke for failing to count the number seemed to her so interminable that she started up and made to herself fretful complaint pain was weakening her self-control she found herself crying in a weary desolate way and could not stop her tears for a long time the gusts of wind went by her windows and bore their voices away unto the common wailing and sobbing in the far distance rain spattered the windows at times When her tears ceased, Emily hid her face in the pillow and moaned. Often she uttered Wilfred's name. Today she should by agreement have written to him, but to do so had been impossible. He would be uneasy at her silence. Oh, how could she ever write to him again? What might happen tomorrow? At the thought, she held her breath and lay in silence. She rose in time for breakfast, but at the last moment could not bring herself to go down to the meal. To face her father was impossible. Her mother came to the door and Emily answered her that she would lie for an hour or two longer, being still unwell. During the half-hour that followed, she sat listening intently to every sound in the house. Hood, having breakfasted, came upstairs and entered his room when a few minutes later he came out his steps made a pause at her threshold her heart beat in sickening fear she could not have found a voice to reply to him had he spoken but he did not do so and went downstairs she heard him open the front door and sprang to the window to catch a glimpse of him at the gate he turned and looked up to her window his face was sorrowful emily held back that he might not see her when it was too late she could not understand this movement and longed to wave him a good-bye she threw up the sash her father did not turn again we follow him not very long after his arrival at the mill dagworthy himself appeared hood's evil conscience led him to regard with apprehension every unusual event dagworthy's unwonted earliness was still troubling his mind when a messenger summoned him to the private room there was nothing extraordinary in this but hood as he crossed the passage shook with fear before knocking and pushing open the door he dashed drops from his forehead with his hand dagworthy was alone sitting at the desk shut the door he said without turning his eyes from a letter he was reading the clerk obeyed and stood for a full minute before anything more was addressed to him he knew that the worst had come dagworthy face half round one day early last week he began averting his eyes after a single glance i was looking over one of these ledgers he pointed to the shelf and left an envelope to mark a place i forgot about it and now that i look the envelope has gone it contained a bank-note of course you came across it in the course of your work it was rather an assertion than a question whilst he was speaking the courage of despair had taken hold upon his hearer like the terrible flash of memory which is said to strike the brain of a drowning man there smote on hood's mind a vision of the home he had just quitted of all it had been and all it might still be to him this was his life and he must save it by whatever means he knew nothing but that necessity all else of consciousness was vague, swimming horror. No, sir, was his reply, given with perfect firmness. I found no envelope. Dagworthy's coarse lips formed a smile, hard and cruel. He faced his clerk. Oh, you didn't? In which ledger did you leave it, sir? Hood asked the dryness of his throat rendering speech more difficult as he proceeded. Still, his eye was fixed steadily on Dagworthy's face. It was life at stake. I have not had them all. I don't remember which it was, replied the other, and it doesn't much matter, since I happen to know the note. I dare say you remember buying a new hat in Heapsworth last Friday. The love of inflicting pain for its own sake, an element of human nature, only overgrown by civilization, was showing itself strongly in Dagworthy. He was prolonging the scene. On his way to the mill he had felt that the task would be rather disagreeable, but we cannot nurture baseness with impunity, and face to face with a man under torture, he enjoyed the spectacle as he scarcely would have done a little while ago perhaps the feeling that his first blow at emily was actually struck gave him satisfaction which he dwelt upon hood made no reply to the question he would not admit to himself that this was the end but he had no voice you hear me dagworthy reminded him yes i bought a hat and you paid for it with the note i have lost i happen to know it there was silence well you understand that under ordinary circumstances you would be at once given in charge dagworthy spoke almost cheerfully if i don't do that it's out of consideration for your age and your family but as you are not to be trusted of course i can continue to employ you a wild hope sprang in Hoots' eyes and a rush of gratitude at his heart compelled him to speak oh mr dagworthy you are generous you have always treated me with kindness and this is how i repay you it was base i deserve no mercy the temptation he grew incoherent i have been driven hard by want of money i know that is no excuse i had no intention at first of taking the money i came here to give it you i should have done so without a thought of dishonesty but you happened to be away in going to heapsworth i lost my hat and i had not enough money of my own to buy another i had to change the note that was the temptation i will return it but for this work here i might by now have been in the workhouse try sir to forgive my baseness i cannot forgive myself dagworthy turned his face away well he said with a wave of his hand all that is too late sir hood pursued spurred by foresight of penury perhaps as much as by dread of having to explain his dismissal at home for penury had been his relentless foe through life sir is it in vain to ask you to give me another chance i am not a dishonest man never before has such a temptation come to me and surely never would again with you i entreat you to think what it means at my age my wife i ought to be content with thanking you for having spared me how few would have done that let me continue to serve you a lower salary if it be ever so little till i have regained your confidence dagworthy was drumming with his fingers on the desk not for an instant did he falter in his purpose but it gave him pleasure to be thus prayed to the employer of labour is not as a rule troubled with a lively imagination a pity for it would surely gratify him to feel in its fulness at times his power of life and death native defect and force of habit render it a matter of course that a small population should eat or starve at his pleasure possibly his resolution in seasons of strike is now and then attributable to awakening of insight and pleasure in prolonging his role of hunger god dagworthy appreciated his victim's despair all the more that it made present to him the wretchedness that would fall on emily think not that the man was unashamed with difficulty he could bring himself to meet hood's look but self-contempt may well consist with perseverance in gratification of ignoble instincts when hood ceased, there came his reply i shall not grant what you ask simply because it is against my principles i let you off for it would do me no good to punish you and certainly as regards yourself the lesson would be enough but i can't keep you in my employ so we'll talk no more about it you are going to take your holiday from the end of this week i think very well let it be supposed that you begin to-day instead and in a day or two write me a note giving up your place this was not yielding on dagworthy's part it merely occurred to him as a way of protecting himself if there should be future need hood was standing with bent head he seemed unable either to speak or to depart you may go dagworthy said sir i may refer to you asked the wretched man roused by the bidding no i think not was the calm reply unless of course you are willing that i should state the plain facts of the case hood staggered from the room When Emily came down in the course of the morning, her appearance was such that her mother uttered an exclamation of alarm. Why, child, you are like a ghost. Why didn't you stay in bed? I was just coming up to you, hoping you'd been asleep. I must go for Dr. Evans at once. Emily resisted. But I certainly shall. Say what you like. No headache would make you look like that and you are as feverish as you can be go up to bed again you hardly look though as if you could climb the stairs i'll put on my things and go round it was only by affecting anger that emily could overcome her mother's purpose she did indeed feel ill but to submit to treatment was impossible whilst this day lasted far worse than her bodily fever was the mental anguish which would not allow her to remain in one place for more than a few minutes at a time and did not suffer the pretense of occupation how would it come about was her father at this moment in the hands of the police how would the first news come to Banbrigg and when the sound of every vehicle on the road was an approaching terror she was constantly at the window to watch the people who came near it had seemed to her that she realized what this trial would be yet her anticipations had fallen far below the experience of these fearful hours at instants she all but repented what she had done and asked herself if there was not even now a chance of somehow saving her father the face which he had raised to the window as he left home smote her heart not a word of kindness had she spoken to him since friday night oh what inconceivable cruelty had possessed her that she let him go this morning without even having touched his hand could her mind endure this was she not now and then near to delirium once she went to the window and to her horror, could see nothing a blue and red mist hovered before her eyes it left her but other symptoms of physical distress grew from hour to hour and she dreaded less strength to endure My wholly forsake her before night came she tried to picture her father returning as usual human pity might have spoken even in dagworthy's heart or if not so then he might have been induced to forbear by a hope of winning her gratitude very agony made her feel almost capable of rewarding such mercy for Wilfrid seemed now very far away and her love had fallen to the background it was not the supreme motive of her being as hitherto which she suffered thus for Wilfrid. the question forced itself upon her and for reply she shuddered such bonds seemed artificial compared with those which linked her to her father the love which was coeval with her life all feeling is so relative to circumstances and what makes so stable as the cement of habit. In the early hours of the afternoon, a lull of utter weariness relieved her. She lay upon the couch and all but slept. It was something between sleep and loss of consciousness, following an excessive pain. She awoke to find a doctor bending over her. Mrs. Hood had become so alarmed that she had dispatched a neighbor secretly on the errand. Emily was passive, and by her way of speaking, half disguised the worst features of her state. Nevertheless, the order was given that she should go to bed. She promised to obey. As soon as father comes, she said, when alone again with her mother, it cannot be long till his time. She would not yield beyond this, but the hour of return came, and her father delayed. Then was every minute an eternity. No longer able to keep her reclining position, she stood again by the window, and her eyes lost their vision from straining upon one spot that at which Hood would first appear. She leaned her head upon the window sill and let her ears take their turn of watching the first touch of a hand at the gate would reach her but there came none can ours thus be lived through ah which of us to whom time has not been a torment of hell is there no nether circle where dread anticipation eternally prolongs itself eternally varied with hope in vain for ever mrs hood had abandoned her useless protests she came and sat by the girl i have no doubt he's gone to the walkers she kept saying naming acquaintances with whom hood occasionally spent an evening then and why need you wait for him my dear can he go up and see you as soon as he gets in mother emily said at last "'Will you go to the walkers and ask? "'It is not really very far. "'Will you go?' "'But, my child, "'it will take me at least an hour "'to walk there and back. "'I should only miss him on the way. "'Are you afraid of something?' "'Yes, I am. "'I believe something has happened to him.' "'Those are your fancies. "'You are very poorly. "'It is cruel to me to refuse to go to bed. "'Will you go, mother?' if you do not i must ill or not i must go she started to her feet her mother gazed at her in fear believing it the beginning of delirium emily my dear child she pleaded laying her hand on the girl's arm won't you come upstairs to please me dear mother if you will go i promise to lie here quietly till you return But it is impossible to leave you alone in the house. Look, now it is nine o'clock. In half an hour, an hour at most, your father will be back. Why, you know how often he stays late when he gets talking. Emily was silent for a few minutes. Then she said, Will you ask Mrs. Hopkins to send her servant? But think the trouble it will be giving. Will you do it? I wish it will you go and ask her i will give the girl money if you are so determined of course i will ask her but i'm sure at length she left the room to go out of the house by the back door and call at the neighbors scarcely was she away when emily darted upstairs and in an instant was down again with her hat and a cloak another moment and she was out in the road She did not forget the terror her mother would suffer on finding her gone, but endurance had reached its limit. It was growing dark. After one look in the direction of Dunfield, she took the opposite way and ran towards the heath, ran till her breath failed and she had to drop into a quick walk. Once more she was going to the upper heath, and to the house which was the source of all her misery. When she reached the quarry, it was quite dark at her approach. She saw the shape of a man move away into the shadow of the quarried rock, and an unreasoning fear spurred her past the spot. Five minutes more and she was at Dagworthy's gate. She rang the doorbell. The servant told her that Mr Dagworthy was at home she declined to give her name but said she must see him at once speedily she was led into a room where her enemy sat alone he looked at her wonderingly then with a deep flush for now he surely had gained his end he advanced towards her without speaking where is my father she asked the voice which disabused him did not seem emily's isn't he at home he has not come home what have you done not come home then he's free he's safe my father you have spared him dagworthy inwardly cursed himself for short-sightedness were he but able to answer yes would she not yield him anything why had he not made trial of this policy or was it now too late But Hood had not returned home. The man had gone forth from him in despair. As he gazed at the girl, a suspicion, all but a fear touched him. Why should Hood remain away from his house? She was repeating her questions, imploringly. He is free as far as I am concerned, Emily. You have forgiven him? Oh, you have had that mercy upon us sit down and let us talk about it said dagworthy she did not seem to notice that he had taken her hand but the next moment he was holding her in his arm and with a cry she broke away there are others in the house she exclaimed her wild fearful eyes seeking other exit than that which he stopped i must call for their help can you not see that i am suffering ill are you pitiless but no no for you have spared him dagworthy mastered himself though it cost him something and spoke with an effort at gentleness what thanks have you to give me emily my life's gratitude but that will be your least reward yea but how is the gratitude going to be shown her keen sense found a fear in his manner of speaking You have not said a word to him, she asked, seeming to forget his question. Of what ultimate use was it to lie, and she would not suffer him within reach of her? I couldn't very well help doing that, he replied, unable to resolve how you were best to speak, and uttering the first words that came, carelessly. Then he knows you have discovered? Her voice failed such explanation of her father's absence was a new terror yes he knows dagworthy answered cruelty resuming its fascination i couldn't keep him at the mill you know though i let him off his punishment you dismissed him i did it's not too late to have him back and something better let me go she said hoarsely he moved from the door sight of such misery vanquished even him when she reached home her mother was standing with two or three neighbors in front of the house at the sight of emily there were exclamations of relief and welcome my child where can you have been mrs hood cried following the girl who passed the garden gate without pausing is father come was the reply no not yet but where have you been why you were coming from the heath emily in the night air and you so ill i have been to ask mr dagworthy emily said in a tired voice he knows nothing of him her strength bore her into the parlour then she sank upon the couch and closed her eyes mrs hood summoned the help of her friends unresisting with eyes still closed Silent, she was carried upstairs and laid in her bed. Her mother sat by her. Midnight came, and Hood did not return. Already Mrs. Hood had begun to suspect something mysterious in Emily's anxiety. Her own fears now became active. She went to the front door and stood there with impatience, by turns angry and alarmed her husband had never been so late she returned to the bedroom emily are you awake dear the girl's eyes opened but she did not speak do you know any reason why your father should stay away a slight shake of the head was the reply the deepest stillness of night was upon the house as mrs hood seated herself with murmured bewailing of such wretchedness there sounded a heavy crash out on the staircase. It was followed by a peculiar ringing reverberation. Emily rose with a shriek. "My love, hush, hush," said the mother. "It's only the clock weight fallen. How that does shake my nerves! It did it only last week and gave me such a start." Grasping her mother's hand, the girl lay back, death pale. The silence was deeper than before, for not even the clock ticked. Dagworthy could not sleep. At sunrise he had wearied himself so, with vain efforts to lie still, that he resolved to take a turn across the heath and then rest if he felt able to. He rose and went into the still morning air. The heath was beautiful, seen thus in the purple flush of the dawn he had called forth a dog to accompany him and the animal careered in great circles over the dewy sword barking at the birds it started up leaping high from the ground mad with the joy of life he ran a race with it to the wall which bounded the top of the quarry the exercise did him good driving from his mind shadows which had clung about it in the night reaching the wall he rested his arms upon it and looked over dunfield to the glory of the rising sun the smoke of the milled chimneys thickening as fires were cold for the day's work caught delicate reflection from the sky the lofty spire of the church seemed built of some beautiful rose-hued stone the grassy country round about wore a fresher green than it was wont to show the very river so foul in reality with the refuse of manufacturers, gleamed like a pure current dagworthy's eyes fixed themselves on the horizon and grew wide with a sense of things half understood the dog had left him and was gone round into the quarry a bark came from below at a second bark dagworthy looked down the dog was snuffing at a man who lay between a big piece of quarried stone and a little grass-bordered pool asleep was he yet it was not the attitude in which men sleep the dog barked a third time he left his position and followed the circuit which would bring him down to where the man lay while still a few yards off he checked himself if the man slept his body was strangely distorted one arm seemed to be beneath him the other was extended stiffly the face looked at the sky a few steps and dagworthy gazing upon the face knew it a cold shudder thrilled him and he drew back his foot struck against something it was a bottle he picked it up and read a word in large print on the white label the temptation to look full into the face again was irresistible though horror shook him as he approached the features were hideous the eyes starting from their sockets the lips drawn back over the teeth he turned and walked away rapidly followed by the dog which roused the quarry echoes with its barking my god i never thought of that the words uttered themselves as he speeded on only at the garden gate he stayed and then seemed to reflect upon what he should do the temptation was to return into the house and leave others to spread the news there would be workmen in the quarry in less than an hour yet he did not do this but hurried past his own door to the house of a doctor not a hundred yards away him he called forth about midday a covered burden was brought in a cart to bambrick the cart stopped before the hood's house and two men lifting the burden carried it through the gate and to the door mrs hood had already opened to them and stood with her face half hidden The burden was taken into the parlour and placed upon the couch. The outline was that of a man's form. In the kitchen were two women, neighbours. As soon as the man had departed and the front door was closed, they stole forward, one sobbing, the other pale with fear. They entered the sitting-room, and Mrs. Hood went in with them. She was strangely self-controlled all three stood looking at the rapt form which was that of a man i shan't dare to look at him mrs hood whispered the doctor told me i wasn't to oh my husband with the sublime love of woman conquering all dread she dropped to her knees and laid her head on the pillow of the couch by the side of that head so closely shrouded Thank God Emily can't see this. She groaned. Hadn't I better go up to her? One of the women asked. Both of them stood at a distance. Yes, perhaps you had. But you'll be wanted at home. Stay with me a minute, then I'll lock this door and go up myself. At the sound of a hand on the door, all turned with a movement of surprise and affright. There entered Emily hurriedly dressed her hair loose upon her shoulders she looked round the room with half-conscious pitiful gaze then upon her mother then at the form on the couch she pointed to it he has come her voice was unearthly the sound gave her mother strength to run to her and throw her arms about her sobbing terror-stricken she suffered herself to be led upstairs and did not speak end of section 18 chapter 13 recording by shirpingling